Welcome back to another season of the Lead with Data podcast. In this exciting new season, we'll be focusing on engaging with leaders in the healthcare and medical sector who are at the forefront of leveraging data. It's evident that this industry has been underserved when it comes to effectively utilizing data, facing challenges with data privacy, data sharing. However, these challenges also present numerous opportunities for the sector to harness the power of data and drive decision-making and research. I'm thrilled to announce that I'll also be joined by my co-owner, Tracy Rowe, who'll be joining me to interview some of these incredible guests. Together, we're eagerly looking forward to discovering, learning, and gaining a deeper understanding of the impacts that data analytics can have in this industry. Stay tuned for some enlightening conversations that will shed light on the potential transformation brought about by data-driven practices in the healthcare and medical sector. My guest on the show today is Revital Rosenberg. Revy is currently the Chief Data Officer of the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Having worked across a few different organisations in the medical and health sector, it's really apparent from our discussion today how passionate she is about making data accessible in this industry. We talk about the benefits of data accessibility, how it could be made available, the challenges with accessing data, and the importance of having standards and creating more awareness around the interpretation of the medical ecosystem. She also shares some of the ways in which we could potentially introduce patient consent, giving us some further access to the data that's available. I really hope you enjoy this discussion. It's a pretty sensitive one given data is such a key aspect of um, protecting our privacy, but I think the way in which it's accessed and the way it's been utilised is probably where the key to this missing link is in terms of being able to have access to it in the health and healthcare sector. Thank you very much, Ravi, for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Now, um, what I'll do is I'll firstly get you to maybe give us a brief introduction to yourself, a bit about your background and what you're doing currently. Perfect. So, yes, my background is bioinformatician by education. Mm -hmm. And ever since I graduated of uh, Weizmann Institute back in Israel, I've been through a series of startups, all in the data field and mainly in the pharmaceutical industry, but moving from developing analytics uh, products to actually do clinical studies analytics and preparing clinical studies data to submission for FDA. So that's up to eight years ago. And then we moved to Australia and I find myself more in the retail industry and private industry here in Australia, working for Quantum and building the data and analytics function at Officeworks. And as of recent, of the last 18 months, I've been with MCRI as the Chief Data Officer. Excellent. So what does your current organization do? What does MCRI do? What's their main sort of purpose and goal? So MCRI is the Murdoch Children Research Institute, sitting at the Royal Children Hospital, working both with the Royal Children Hospital and University of Melbourne as a campus, and focus on research on medical research for specifically for kids and adolescents. So what we're doing is basically looking at all aspects of kids' health and focusing from biological stem cell uh, research to clinical trials, genomics, and so on. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I, I thought that maybe the listeners might want to understand a little bit about what the organization does. So, and look, I, I do always ask my guests this, but tell me what, you know, what you're most passionate about when it comes to data. 
Well, it's my greatest passion to make data available for decision makers. So basically make the right data available in the right time and the right place to help people make the, the most of it. So whether it was, you know, on the retail, make the right decision for the business operational excellence, but on the health side, make the data available for researchers to actually improve kids' health and outcomes by making the data accessible, findable, you know, and, and reusable, which is almost never. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a constant challenge in general when it comes to data, but I think particularly through my discussions that I've had recently with professionals in the medical data field and healthcare field is that there seems to be certainly some challenges, I think, that the industry is working working through to be able to provide, um, you know, better research, analysis, better, you know, diagnosis of conditions, better preventatives. You know, I think there's a lot of amazing stuff going on. So I think, you know, it's really great to hear from um, individuals like yourself who are kind of working in the trenches at the moment to try and overcome some of those challenges. Now, I know when we were, you know, sort of talking about what you know uh, what are the things that you feel are some of the the more challenging aspects and you know what are the different things that we could be doing I mean I think as an industry patients data typically we think you know is owned by the patient but I think in reality I think from what you were saying is it really there's really a, a quite a blur around who sort of owns that data I mean what are those what are the challenges when it comes to the accessibility of data because I mean you you said that earlier on that your passion is about making data available and making it more visible and making it more you know understandable for individuals but when it comes to healthcare data or data for patients what are the challenges that you're currently seeing across this sector that's a really Great and big question, <laughs> but uh, let, let me tackle. There are a few things um, that you touched on there. So one is the ownership, and I just want to uh, frame my answer around that. So I'm not talking about data ownership from a legal perspective. That is a very complex issue that you know a, a lot of lawyers and, and legal personnel are working on. But from a conceptual point of view, who actually owns the data and have the right to say, should my data or my patient data be used in certain research or for certain outcome and basically we all evolved to think that the individual own their own data right i as a person you as a person own our data when it comes to interaction with retailers when it comes to interaction with doctors with research with hospital hospitals and so on saying that we usually give our consent to to the organization or the institute to use the data in a, in a specific way. Mm-hmm. And once we gave that consent, we have the right to revoke the consent or ask for our data to be removed and so on. And each industry have their own risk or their own uh, procedures on how to do that. But eventually, as an organization, as a and, and I'm talking right now, as the head, uh, chief data officer at MCRI, as a researcher, for example, that I've collected data from my participant or my patient at the hospital and so on, I feel the need to protect this data. First yeah. of all, I've worked really hard to collect it. It could be years of work to collect you know, a really good data set with quality data. 
And secondly, I don't want to share that because there is all this privacy and security concern around data sharing and so on. So we, because of that, we ended up in, in a place that, yes, I've got the consent of my patients or my research study participant to use this, this data in this way. And I'm only going to use it that way. And I'm, and I'm going to hold on to this data, which led to a point of a lot of siloed data sets all over the place between all over the place in the health industry, so hospital, patients, clinics, and research, but also all over the place within one organization because each researchers kind of having their own data sets or their own patient data sets. And we lost the, um, the idea that we need to ask patients how comfortable they are for us to share their data. And when I say sharing their data, it's not about, you know, yes, I will take your, you know, clinical history and just send it around. It's how we are using the right practices of the identifying, anonymizing the data, really reduce the risk of identifying the, the individual, but making the data accessible for the greater good, for you know, improving health outcomes and improving care for, for people and for the, the individuals that actually share the data with us. Yeah. So one of the things that we are evolving towards is having more a dynamic consent. So it's not about an individual providing a consent one and that's it. Mm -hmm. But they have the ability to go in and change their consent and approve specific research study or approve specific usage or even giving an umbrella consent to, yes, you can anonymize my data and use it for research as a secondary use mm -hmm. and things like that. But it's a long way to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And I suspect that there would need to be a lot of processes, systems and procedures in place to ensure that those risks are mitigated and that the, the data is protected before we can sort of move to that at a mass level. Are these the kind of things that, um, and you may or may not know this depending on what you're sort of responsible for, but are these the kind of things that the industry is working towards is, is putting in place some systems and processes that will make people feel more comfortable about sharing their data? Yes, yeah, so, so there, are, um, there are pockets of areas where where there are progress on. Mm -hmm. I think the main issue is that we don't have a unified approach to it. And, you know, there are different companies doing different things around this. But basically, you can see that there is a move towards a dynamic consent where patients can access and change their consent. And I think the pioneers of that in Australia would be Australian genomics that have developed this portal for patients to go and change their consent. There are tools that are being developed to anonymize data and hence make it easier to share the data uh, with others. But on top of that, there are other issues because it's not just about sharing the data. If, if, even if you share you know, a small data set, it's probably not reaching its maximal benefit or outcomes without being linked to other data sets. Mm -hmm. So, and for that, there is, you know, issues around standardizations and, and common language around different variables and how you make sure the data is comparable and compatible with other data sets. So there is a lot of dispersity in, in Australia in the health system and 
consent is just the the you know the initial point of entry yeah with patient consent but then again just making use and making sure the data is fully exploited still require a lot of work yeah yeah so let's talk about some of those things because I know you mentioned a few things when we were talking as well but in your opinion from your experience what are some of the things that professionals like yourself and other industry um, leaders could be doing to sort of improve and enhance how we're going to be using that data so what we're focusing on at MCRI is standardization of data and data practices and that includes a lot of transparency around metadata, data dictionaries, making sure that our data is visible for others. So starting the collaboration with the visibility of what we have. Again, making sure everything is standardized, working to introduce the right data models and standardization upfront instead of you know, trying to harmonize data later on. The other thing is the industry, and, and I think it's a global trend and not just here in Australia, is to move to an open science, open science, open access policy, which means that once you have done a research and you've published your result, then you have to make your data available to others for reuse. This is a principle that Australia have tried, well, is trying to adhere to. It's not mandatory yet, but it will become mandatory in the next few years. So, and with that, we are working to understand how you actually anonymize data and, and reducing the risk of re-identification, not in the sense of just this data set, but actually when you expose the data, other data set that might be linked to it can, you know, increase the risk of re-identification. So looking at that broader picture is something we have started to do in that direction. Fantastic. And what about in terms of sort of capability, so more from a technology perspective, so tools, technology, is there an opportunity for perhaps utilising those to help increase or um, improve the capabilities? Absolutely. So a lot of the processes, for example, around consent are in the health industry are still manual. People sign their consent for specific test results and, and things like that. So shifting towards more digital tools, more you know, web-based tools is definitely something that is going to help. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be, well, it's my own personal perspective, it seems to be very hard to do so in this industry uh, relative to others because it's not the main focus of people. You know, people are focused on healthcare, people are focused on their patients, people are focused on their research outcomes to do better for the greater good. And we we come and tell them, well, we're going to shift to this tool and you need to learn these um, skills. And it's very much a huge change management in this field, but it's something we have to start doing to eventually get to a state where our systems are interoperable. The healthcare system works much smoother. Everything is streamlined and we're not there yet. Absolutely. And it sounds like a bit of a chicken and egg situation, doesn't it? Because there's obviously a lot of history with how things were done but it's almost around like you said you know the the professionals are very focused on the patient providing the service the the technicalities of what they're doing and their specialty and then to layer that now with learning applications and technology um especially if they've been practicing for quite some time can be quite challenging 
Do you think there's an opportunity now, though, with this new digitization of the healthcare system for professionals to be trained maybe at an early stage, maybe when they're studying, or is that something that you you foresee that will probably start to be introduced? I think I think for sure. I mean, this is the trend. Everything is moving in this direction, not just in the healthcare, but I think there is more openness to it. And you know, the latest example would be generative AI like ChatGPT and the discussion around how people are using that. And we were when we as a research institute start to look into how our staff is using um, ChatGPT and how the hospital staff is using ChatGPT, just to try to understand, you know, to make sure people are using it correctly, understand the risk with that and so on. We were very surprised to find out that um, a lot of people are actually using that for healthcare, like, you know, help them to phrase outcome letter to a patient or um, or for search for certain conditions or refine the language on publication and things like that. So with those things that seems to be very easily uh, self-learned tools, there is a greater openness to what AI data and data science can bring into healthcare as well. So I'm hoping, you know, it's kind of through the back door, but I, I'm hoping that it will help people to be keen to learn more stuff and to see how these things can help improve their day-to-day work. Yeah, yeah. And I know that, um, you know, through discussions with with other leaders and, and yourself, I think when we initially talked about coming on the show, there's this whole medical ecosystem and how complex it is. Tell me a bit more about that and where you feel the opportunity could be there to improve what we've currently got. Yeah, so, so it's funny because coming from from Israel where the medical system is very much centralized, like you have your own Medicare card and your own number, but it's linked to all the systems. So when you go to a hospital, for example, they can see all your history. You don't have to tell them. When you go from one uh, GP to another specialist, they can see everything. Coming to Australia, I was really surprised on a personal level that I can go to one GP in the morning and to another one in the afternoon and they they can both prescribe me the same medication or different medication without knowing about each other, right? So the disparity of, of the health system here is is really surprising and and at, at point can be, you know, even dangerous in, in some sense. So there are a lot of things that probably can be done, like introducing, you know, at the state level unified system for managing patient-doctor interactions or prescription and so on. But these are really big things that are very hard to accomplish and definitely not something we as an institute have any influence on. But specifically on how people are thinking, you know, just creating a bit more standardization and willingness for interoperability and data sharing is a great way to start. Yeah, definitely. Tell us about some of the benefits that you see that this could offer. So to the patient, to the professionals, to the surgeons, specialists that are actually working in the field, what could some of these things, you know, actually mean for for people like me and you? Uh, uh, You mean from a unified health system, unified health system? Yeah, Yeah. 
being able to get this transparency or being able to give access to some of these the, the professionals and you know from a from a patient experience or a specialist experience perspective like what what are some of the benefits so from a patient perspective you would um have all your information in one place throughout the years. You know, now in Australia, if you've been to one clinic, they will have your history. If you move, because you move place or state, um, you lose all that history and you don't have any access to it. So, and I think my health records were trying to go in that direction, but for some reason failed. But from a patient perspective, you will have all your history in one place. You can see how your blood tests change for, um, you know, throughout the years and monitor your health, you don't have to remember everything you've done, everything, all the drugs that you're taking. If you talk about, you know, elderly people that don't always remember to tell their specialist or their GP what someone else gave them or some other specialist recommended. So yeah, everything is in one place and accessible. From a healthcare provider, you are not reliant on the on the memory of the patient or what they choose to tell you in that session. You have everything available to you. And that is specifically important when you talk about drug-drug interactions or, again, emergencies or elderly people when you really need to see the, the full history of what they've done, what they've been through. And at a you know, state level, it gives you the opportunity to start doing big numbers uh, crunching, you know, epidemiologic study, uh, understanding trends, understanding health outcome in a bigger sense, bigger picture sense. For now, if you want to do that, you need to go hospital by hospital and institute by institute and collect the data and harmonize it and make sure you clean it properly and link it properly. So it's a lot of work to get to where if it was just unified system. It will it will all be there. Yeah, absolutely. And that could lead to obviously better diagnosis, uh, preventatives. I think we touched on that earlier. Just being able to analyze more trends, I suppose, around what's causing certain conditions and, and to be able to provide better, better, I suppose, better service and and, and better diagnosis of, of things that are to come. And it's, it, you know, it's as like you said, you when you came from Israel, you were really surprised that this isn't available. I think even as a patient, until I moved to Australia, I actually thought that the GPs and hospitals had access to my data. I just thought it was it was a given that they would know my history. It was only when I came here that I had to, for the two GPs from the UK, get permission to transfer everything over and then move it here, that I, that I actually realised that even in the UK, it's very siloed. So I don't, I think it's not just exclusive to here. I actually think there's lots of places around the world that operate in a very similar way which is um which is surprising but there's obviously reasons why it is that way I guess and what do you think I mean I know this is a big question but what are the steps to try to bridge that gap or try to make some progress to to make that a better experience in in terms of what you've seen and what people are doing at the moment yeah it is a big question and and I think that you know from the solution is is technical because yeah. once you introduce the same tools and the same applications for everyone to use, then the interoperability is much easier than if you know everyone uses just what they want and have different definition and so on. But the implementation won't 
is not easy because there are systems in place and people have their ways of working and it's a lot of money and a lot of time to change things. But but the benefits are there. And exactly as you were alluding to before, you know, in terms of diagnosis, in terms of trends, and we're not just talking about, you know, the simple stuff. You know, when we talk about trends, people always go first to COVID and how you monitor those big things. Yeah. But actually, those big things are, are relatively easy to monitor because they are big. But if you're talking about, you know, a condition that is a bit less frequent or even a rare disease where you really need to collect data from a lot of places to actually get to a cohort that is sufficient to start seeing trends and outcomes, it's very hard to do that because you need to link uh, a lot of participants and collaborators across Australia and uh, international collaborators as well to reach those numbers that start being actually efficient in, in getting in getting outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the more and more I talk to leaders in this space, it sounds like you're all definitely wanting the same thing. I think it's it sounds like it's more of an industry change that needs to happen at a much higher level for this to then everybody to kind of work collaboratively together. Because there's so many different um aspects to healthcare isn't there there's the research side which you're in and then there's the frontline staff in the hospitals and then there's the pharmaceutical companies as well so there's just so many different people that are involved in this bubble of healthcare that makes it even more complex um and and I think but also such a huge opportunity for this industry to really um transform what it's doing and you know where it can go it may not entirely get there but there, I think there's certainly massive opportunities uh, for that because I think even until I sort of started talking to people in the healthcare sector didn't really understand what analytics would look like you know and and it's actually it's so fascinating and so interesting some of the stuff that you leaders are doing so yeah I think it I think it's great that that you know there's definitely um, a common theme of leaders wanting the, the same thing I guess in terms of sort of analytics themselves, um, Ravi, I know you worked obviously in, in pharmaceutical as well, and now you're working in research. What are the differences that you've seen in terms of the analytics and the value that you're providing those sort of businesses? What 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 are the different things that you're looking at? I know you touched on it earlier in terms of looking at, you know, data for, for children and, you know, maybe their conditions and how you can maybe improve that. What does that look like in a pharmaceutical setting? Yeah, there, there are different lenses that you can use data in this industry. And this is what I find very fascinating, actually. So when you work for a pharmaceutical company, it was very much around the data that proves their you know, drugs are effective and safe and, and how you commercialize your drugs. So it was very very much oriented into in, in one direction you know of clinical trial analysis and and proving that the that drug is effective and safe when i moved to private industry it was more focused on operational excellence so how you improve efficiency and benefits using your data 
from your business processes. So whether it's, you know, um, production efficiency or um, supply chain efficiency or how you optimize your prices and so on. So much more business operation of efficiency oriented. In research or, you know, even in hospital setting, you have both, which is really interesting because you have the research data and analysis and modeling, developing for predicting of outcomes and diseases and diagnostics and so on. You have genomics and uh, analytics and bioinformatics, but you also have the operationals there, how you make your research better, how you make your hospital operation better, and how you use data for insights to, to make better decisions. So I think in this sense, the health industry actually sitting on data that could be beneficial from so many lenses. And unfortunately, it's not used to to its maximum benefit at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Now, somebody coming from a career, I suppose, um, you know, across that sort of medical analytics and and healthcare analytics background, what would you say to individuals who are perhaps... um, wanting to move into this sector and what would be um, some of the, I suppose, appealing things about coming into this industry? I think for me personally, it's the the purpose. It's you get to use your analytic skills and really influence better outcomes for, for individuals, for people, which you cannot say on you know, on all industries, yeah. uh, this is really um, purposeful uh, work, and I really enjoy that. So, and I think there's so much to do here. So, you know, if I'm looking at industry level, five years ago, data scientists would be very rare person to find, and and we were struggling to recruit people with good skill set in data analysis and and data scientists areas and I think the industry or the the tools around AI and machine learning and BI are evolving really fast. So when you talk about operational excellence or you know industry requirements for analytics, the tools are catching up. So you, you we are at a position that you don't necessarily need to have high-end data scientists to improve your your operations because there are tools that can do a really good 80-20% kind of rule of machine learning and modeling and algorithm to support you. But when you go to healthcare, the 80-20 rule doesn't work really well. You really, really want, you know, higher accuracy. You know, sometimes it's diagnostic, life and death situation. So you need to be more accurate and there are so much more room for creativity and development and improvement. So I think that's something that really appeals to me. Yeah, fantastic. And do you um, do you believe that, um, I mean, I know there'd particularly be certain roles within the analytics space in, in healthcare where having a medical sort of background would be really, really useful. Do you see that there could be an opportunity for individuals who perhaps don't necessarily have a, a medical background um, to come in um, to the industry where they've worked mainly in the commercial sector, do you think that it's it's a hard transition, or do you think it's um, or there are particular areas that they could move into? Maybe not the very technical areas of, of medical, but are there any p- specific areas that you feel there could be a transition? Because one of the 
discussions we have with a lot of organisations in the medical sector is we'd love to get people from the medical healthcare background because they understand the jargon, they understand what they need to look for in the data to be able to drive value. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there are a variety of opportunities and and definitely there is lack of people with data analytics skills in, in the health industry. And there are high-end um, use cases where you really need that SME or that expert view on things. But for most, most things, I think if you come in from a science background or you have really desire to learn, the, the skill sets are transferable in terms of data management, data analysis, developing mo- models, algorithms. Those skill sets are transferable and you need to learn, you know, the business context, which is here the healthcare system. So science background is definitely an advantage, but I don't believe it's absolutely necessary. If you have the desire and you have the potential, then then I think you can you can manage. Yeah, excellent. Um, and look, and, and that's great because I think the one of the other purposes for um, driving this healthcare podcast was really to try and create more awareness around analytics in healthcare to try and generate more interest at early stages of people's careers or where they're at a stage where they're kind of thinking about what industry to go into because I think there's such a massive opportunity in this um, sector. So I guess um, to sort of wrap things up, in your opinion, where do you believe the healthcare industry will be or is heading over the next kind of five, three to five years? In your opinion, where do you sort of see the growth or the, the, the opportunity? I think, as you mentioned before, a lot of leaders want the same things. So I think we will slowly move to that standardization, uh, open science, open data place. We just need to make sure that we're doing this in the right way, with the right patient consent, with the right anonymization protocols. But everyone is of the same opinion that we need to go there. The, the, the benefits or, you know, the the maximum benefit of this data sits with the high volume of numbers and the high volume of data. So everyone wants to get to the same place and, and increase the interoperability of, of our system. Yeah. And as a patient, what could we be doing to help drive this change? I think to be less scared of, of how our data could harm us, uh, ensure that we are only engaging with you know providers that we are comfortable with and and provide us with the right you know security level and comfort comfort level of how they're using our data but basically i think on a personal level that if you ask me if we can anonymize your data and then use it for the greater good would you agree i believe 90% of individual would say yes and, and we need to keep that open mind about it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I think it's really important because I think it starts from there too, people not being so worried because I think in general everyone's so worried about their data being exploited and being across so many different platforms that this is yet another you know, organisation, another industry that wants to gain access. But I think health, our health is so important, I suppose, to to everybody that it would it would be it would be a game changer to to be able to have the access and for people like you know um, your organisations to be able to research on real data on mass amounts of volume to be able to provide better better healthcare services. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know people need to remember you know 
always it's an it's an analysis of risk versus benefit and when you give your information to you know to buy something and that includes your financial information your credit card your address and and all those things you risk financial harm mm-hmm. but when like if someone you know steal your credit card number and as such but when you give your anonymized health information you're not risking anything but you're helping the industry to provide better care for you and for others with similar conditions so in that sense we need to be that one community and to drive to do things better as a community Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Revy, for your time today. I really, really enjoyed the discussion. And I think it will certainly help open up people's minds and get a bit more of an insight of what the industry is working toward. Now, a lot of people, when they do listen to the podcast, they might reach out and try and connect with you or may have some questions. Are you happy for them to reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Revy. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. <laughs>